Welcome to Untapped Keg, podcast where we explore different perspectives into sobriety, mental health, where we believe there's only one right way to sobriety. That's the way that works for you. I'm one of your hosts, or your host, RJ Zimmerman, and I have the pleasure of being here today with Michelle Reggini, um, <laughs> podcast host of We Recover Loudly and just an awesome person who's really doing a lot in the space to normalize the conversation around sobriety, alcohol-free, recovery, you know, whatever verbiage you want to use that works for you, please use it. And talking about it from a perspective of the hospitality industry and servers and bartenders and cooks and, uh, you know, hotels, everything that has to do with that. And it's really wonderful. So how are you doing today, Shell? Thanks for joining me. Thank you. Absolutely nailed the surname, by the way. Nailed it. Yes. <laughs> I'm so glad we went over it beforehand too, because I would have not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one. And then people go, oh, are you Italian? And I have to say, no. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> but apparently my ancestors were. But uh, yeah, no, thank you so much. It's lovely to be here to to connect and talk about all things. that. Are and I love that intro when you said about whatever word works for you, because um, that's really what it's about, isn't it? It's uh, whatever works for you, whatever. And, it, and it's a daily thing, whatever works for you today as well. I think it's really important that people realize it's all right to change their perspectives change what they do as it suits you know enough of these labels man <laughs> yeah and as somebody who has I started with a I don't drink I went to I'm an alcoholic I'm sober I'm in recovery alcohol free and now I'm just like whatever you want to say I just don't partake in alcohol I don't I honestly don't care anymore like you said labels but the important thing that I want people to take away is like it is what works for you in life and this journey. Because when you take that experimental approach, instead of it has to be this way, it turns into something that you can have fun with. Who thought that this could be fun? <laughs> mm. Yeah, definitely. And I think although there is still work to do, there is far more openness in being able to just say, I'm not drinking today without there being that pressure um and like you just said about fun it's like oh I'm actually going to try one of these non-alcoholic gins and it becomes a bit of a curiosity and it's exciting because <laughs> it's, it's a new flavor and a new experience and I have so many of my friends who drink and my parents uh, who will now kind of partake in these like you said almost like a, oh, we're going to try this new thing the fact it's got no alcohol doesn't cross their mind which obviously is baffling to somebody like me who is a recovering um, addict or again whatever you want to call I also changed my labels you know today I'm just shell you know um, but certainly two years ago when I first started on this um, abstinence journey I was a chronically emotionally dependent drinker um, I wasn't using drugs at the time but yeah certainly alcohol um, but yeah, it's uh, it's certainly it's a, it's a it's a great time to be sober, as they say. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and beforehand we were talking a lot about the NA beer space and how so the big companies are getting involved because there's money in there, and 
like you have Heineken Zero, which is a solid beer and it tastes really good. And you have Bud Zero, which they can kind of keep. I'm, you know, eh, it's kind of is what it is as far as an NA beer goes. But these microbrewed like IPAs, there's a lot of different lagers out there that if you do miss a taste of beer, you can have that flavor without having the effects of it on your mind and your body. 100%. And do you know what's strange? I never used to drink beer when I was a drinker um, because I didn't like the amount of liquid that you had to consume to get the buzz. You know, like I'm a girl. I don't like being bloated. I like my tummy to be, you know, all of those kind of things. And um, you really have to go hard on beer if you want to get like absolutely annihilated. Um, obviously, until craft came in and there are some incredibly strong like IPAs and stuff like that. But on a whole, but now I don't drink bloody love a non-alcoholic beer it's it's really strange and um like you've mentioned there's some beautiful um amazing breweries um that are i mean let's be clear is bud delicious with alcohol i mean i, I, I would say no <laughs> it's not for yeah me, so, so i mean in that case it, it's it's sticking with its uh, you know it's it's pretty brand consistent in that respect yeah. um <laughs> um but there are, I mean, over in the UK, we've got um, a brewery called Mash Gang, who are just, I'm obsessed with it at the moment, and their labels are the coolest, and it's very skater, graffiti, and just like, you look at them and you think, I want to hang out with them, I want to be them. There's this, there's this image that you want to not necessarily emulate, but gravitate towards, which is so different to... 10 years ago, five years ago, where it would be a under the under the kind of hand of a, <clears throat> if you go any non-alcoholic and you say it with such shame and when they look at you like a piece of like, you know, extraterrestrial, you go, oh, sorry, I said Coke. What did you hear? I asked for a Coke. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you kind of walk away. It's like that, you know, it's like when you wave at somebody and then it turns out they're not waving at you back and you just awkwardly hide your hand. It's a bit like that back then when you ordered non-alcoholic. Whereas oh. now, it's not only do you demand, you, you can demand it. You get feisty when they have shit. You can be like, well, I'm leaving. Love that. Oh, absolutely. And you don't go up to those people and hug them and say, oh, I saw you waving to me. So, you know, here's a hug. I appreciate it. <laughs> absolutely <laughs> oh god the shame why is that right? so awkward <laughs> and i i honestly don't know why it's so awkward but i, I what you were saying that it's like it comes back like that embarrassment like oh yeah. I'm, a, I'm a dork <laughs> why would i literally you feel a little bit I yeah i feel a little bit nauseous just thinking about it. but um, yeah that well, turns out you get sober you're still an absolute loser <laughs> <laughs> It's actually funny you say that because I was going to bring up, you brought up the Mash Gang, is that what it's called? Uh, mm. The brewery? So my favorite one, which is actually local to Virginia where I am, is called Uncool. And their byline is, let's be honest, it might be uncool to not drink. So why not embrace it and have something that tastes yeah. good while you're being uncool? And it's like, at first I saw it, I'm like, really? There's already the stigma around like drinking and not being cool and all that. And then I saw the lines and I'm like, okay, this is actually really awesome. And it tastes incredible. It is such a good beer. Like just straight up a good yeah. beer. 
Well, it's subculture, really, isn't it? If you think about it, it's like subcultures becoming mainstream, which is very much like, you know, like we were just saying, like that kind of skateboarding, graffiti, straight edge, you know, that kind of scene from many years ago. And it, it's kind of, it is becoming cool. And again, we were discussing beforehand whether or not there is the, when things suddenly become mainstream and people realize they can profit, sometimes the little guy gets lost in that, which is something that I hope we don't see happen. There is obviously the benefits of things becoming mainstream because like we're saying, it means that there's demand. It means that there's volume. It means that ingredients might become a little bit cheaper and these smaller brands can get access to things that they may not have before. But uh, there is a small part of me that it does kind of miss the fact that it's not, you know, I kind of liked being a bit of an uncool, you know, like that, <laughs> that edginess and, now everyone, now your bloody mum's drinking and on alcoholic gin. I'm like, oh great, <laughs> it's not cool. <laughs> it's like that little bit. I liked it before it was cool, right? Like right? I discovered it first. Literally, I mean, I didn't want to go there, but I kind of did. Um, like uh, Laura Silverman, the incredible uh, zero proof nation, uh, Laura Silverman. She was 16 years sober this year, and. Um, 16 years ago there was just nothing it was just a wasteland and she's a huge part of the community and yet I do wonder often if she's kind of looking around being like where were you guys when it was me and a tap water and that was it and you know (laughs) we're all here now enjoying the fact that she's you know put in the hard work for all these years and created these spaces and we just get to float in and enjoy our non-alcoholic you know <laughs> beers and she's just there going I I remember the veteran <laughs> of the non-alcoholic <laughs> back in my day <laughs> back in my day exactly I think there needs to be way more respect for the pioneers I think that we all need to respect and recognize that we would not be here had it not been for their hard work um, and their enjoyment of appalling substitutes or lack of enjoyment of appalling substitutes and demanding more because that is why you know I've got in my fridge I've got like three or four different non-alcoholic bits and bobs I was at an event with the alcohol free drink company which is an English stock a a stockist in um, the UK and like just that's mental the fact that I've got two RTDs I've got a bottle of non-alcoholic fizz I've got um, an aperitivo um, alternative like that's mental yeah and just so wondrous at the same time and so i you know when i got stopped drinking and got sober it was oduls or nothing and then or i think saint Polly girl might have had a na but it was blech. anyway <laughs> about i don't know like yeah about a year ago i went to a restaurant and i asked them you know hey how about we explore some of these NA beer and get some decent NA drinks on this, on your menu. And they were all in to the point that they contacted their distributor and they brought in a taste test of non-alcoholic whiskey, non-alcoholic gin, non-alcoholic tequila, rum, all of this, and then mixing them to come up with drinks that actually tasted good. And I'm like, I had no idea any of this existed. And now you're starting to see it 
get more of a notice. I think the the last year has been unreal with how much advertisement, how much you've been able to really see these drinks come in. They give us a choice we didn't know that we had and just how mm. good they are. Um, it is unreal. And yeah. it's just... And yet- I was say the creativity now, the imagination, that's the limit. Oh, God, yeah. And and the cool thing as well is that things are getting invent like created that aren't just straight um copies. So it's not like here is your non alcoholic tequila. We're creating these amazing brand new flavors that have never been used before. And there's like again, like with veganism when suddenly everyone's roasting cauliflower and going like, What the hell? You can roast this thing? It's a little bit like yeah. that now with the non alcoholic <laughs> stuff. It's like it's not just about like going like here is the meat and here is the meat alternative. It's like, right, let's look at these raw ingredients and actually really see what we can do with them, which is amazing. Um, But what I was going to say is that I do still think, though, that when it comes to actually serving these drinks, serving them safely and having a consistent kind of narrative that this is something that should and must be on your menus, we've still got a way to go because there are still far significantly more venues that are not accommodating to their detriment because it is a no-brainer when it comes to making sales to making profits um and i think that's going to be the interesting thing over the next kind of 12 months to a couple of years i think we're going to carry on making these amazing products but let's see what the sector the hospitality industry actually does in terms of engaging and selling it now because it's yeah you know otherwise it's there's and and it's a real shame the amount of times i go to restaurants and there's just nothing and you think well okay i guess i'll keep my money if people are leaving money on the table absolutely i mean you know an example of this is on my birthday i went to my favorite restaurant and they just added some na stuff and usually i would get a water free well they added some mocktails to it. So I'm like, you know what? I'll try one. And it's, I don't know, seven, eight bucks. So you get seven or $8 per drink that I was just going to go with a water and zero. And that adds up really quickly when you start to look at people who don't drink, don't want to drink. There's m- multiple reasons for why oh, people don't drink. It. Yeah. And so, you know, what, as people start to realize, I, I can't remember the number. I feel like it was by 2030, the non-alcoholic industry, they were looking at like $25 billion of it being the industry yeah. now. And it's, wow. I want to say it's like at five. So they're looking at that big of an increase and it might be more than that. And I might be, mm. you know, missing a zero, but it really is exploding right now. And it's, it makes it fun. Oh God. Yeah. I mean, look, look, we talk about the pioneers of the individuals of the NA scene. It's it's again, it feels like we're at that time where there are some big restaurant groups or big pub groups, cocktail groups that can really make a decision now to be known as one of the first people that are going to embrace something that might feel like a trend again, like veganism, but is actually not going anywhere. There's a um a organization called cam media who does incredible insights reporting and data collection and they did a report in partnership with lucky saint and they as part of that data they have um they 
speculated, I suppose, but in a very kind of educated way, that £800 million was lost last year to tap water. That's £800 million that we could have been putting into businesses' tills, but because they didn't have anything on offer that was worth us putting our hand in our pocket for, people go for tap water. And I think that's absolutely true. I know I do it myself. And then you've got people who don't drink also often choose where you're going to go. Yeah. Massive. That's a huge thing. So they're the people that you want to be flirting with. And then recently as well, I read that, I think, I guess it's actually it might have been in Cam Media, one in three visits to the pub is not an alcoholic drink-based visit. So that's one in three. And these are just people who also drink, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, I think that's, again, where we're missing We're missing a beat, you know. like I saw it, again, a ridiculous statistic. Something like 73% of people who drink non-alcoholic beer drink beer. That's mad. Right. I mean, just think about, like, if you go to lunch, like networking lunch or something like that, and you have to go back to work, you can't be under the influence, so an NA drink, any kind of NA drink. It's it, There are so many opportunities that are completely missed out on. And it's great that people are exploring it now and looking into the actual numbers behind it because that's what is going to promote the change. That's what's going to really get it to a point where it's sustained and it's not just, you know, that uh, flash in the pan kind of like what we've been talking yeah, and it, I think one of the key things that we kind of talk about on We Recover Loudly and in the consulting work that we do as well um, with our sister company, Hospitality Raw, is that it's all very well businesses putting things on the shelves or putting things on menus, but if they don't educate the team on what those product, products are, why they're priced the way they are, where they come from, their origins, the craftsmanship, as well as how to serve them safely, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because you're right, you will get in three or four non-alcoholic spirit alternatives and not sell any because, you know, they stick it on the back of the menu, like, you know, like right in the back corner with, you know, and other things. And it's things like that, that as an industry, we need to start really examining not just what we're putting in the, on the menu and in our buildings, but, how are we educating our team and how are we selling it? Because you're right. If you get those things in, you just stick it at the back of the menu with the, any other business, you know, like the kids drinks. That's a, that's a classic one when they're at the back yeah. next to the kids menu. <laughs> yep. No one is going to, no one is going to engage in that. Um, and again, that's, I think where people miss that, miss a trick. And it's not hard to get your team excited about these products because they are exciting. It just yeah. takes a little bit of that kind of consideration or effort. Or, yeah. And I saw a restaurant, they had a bunch of NA options. They didn't even put it on their menu. And then they're like, well, I don't know if we're going to continue carrying these because nobody's ordering them. I'm like, do people know you have them? I'm not, <laughs> yeah. I'm not a rocket surgeon, but, <laughs> or a brain scientist. Oh my God, yeah. But it's so it, true as well. <laughs> and I was just like, I just, I think if you'd put it on a menu somewhere that people 
might order it. Yeah, it's mental. Or, or even better, it's actually not on the tills, so I can't sell it. Oh, good. It's on the menu, you know, it's on, it's on the bar, but it's not on the till. <laughs> Things like that, which just blow your mind. Um, and it's, you know, it's also, it's very relevant when it kind of, we talk about with We Recover Loudly, that my podcast, which is all about shaking up these conversations about our drinking and drug taking culture in the hospitality industry, which is a hugely well, silent pandemic in as much as there are so many people affected by addiction in our industry who will sadly either just leave our industry and go work elsewhere because they can't be around the the, the incessant kind of um, environment that we claim to be normality and oh it's just hospitality um yet all, all far more serious you know people are losing their lives to not just addiction but the mental health um the mental health conditions that are adjacent to that if we start taking the non-alcoholic sector seriously as a product that we're selling and making money from i feel that there is going to be an obvious and beneficial knock-on effect as well because suddenly the culture is not just about excess and oblivion we're becoming more considered and mindful in what we're selling our guests. I think it's only natural, unless I'm unless I'm holding on to a dream, but I feel it's only natural that that will hopefully start to make those changes because it's uh it's yeah it's a really really it it's really scary to see how many people are affected and more scary how little is being done to change on the whole. Yeah. And that's something that is, you know, it's a testament to what you're doing that you're not just talking about it from, you know, an addiction and a substance, but also the mental health, because the mental health is such a massive part of any of this conversation that we have overlooked for so long. And that's the reason that this isn't just a sobriety podcast, but sobriety and mental health, because it turns out that we would look at alcohol or drugs as the reason for our mental health when really it's a side effect to our mental health. And if we're honest about that, if we start 100%. to get away from, yeah, if we start to get away from that's the cause and we start to actually look at what might be underlying or just being honest mm. and having these conversations, you don't feel alone wow i i really do believe that what you just said is is true and it will make a difference in the industry yeah i mean we we talk about like i've gone through a 12-step program and we talk about in that um that alcohol was never the problem it was the solution and 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 i yes. really um i very viscerally relate to that and um you know when i sit down in um I've got just over two years, but I still regularly go to meetings because I've built this incredible, you were just saying about being alone. I've built this incredible community of friends, um, people that I've got real, honest, raw connection with, which I've never had in my entire life. So people say, why do you keep going back? I go back because of this. I've met my people. I've got my tribe. Um, but when you sit in these rooms of recovery and you look around at these 12 set rooms um you're not looking around at a bunch of you know 15 20 degenerates and addicts you're looking at a group of really 
really strong but traumatized affected people who have had different variances of horrendous things happen to them or undiagnosed things you know and I'm sure we'll get into it we've both got uh, ADHD and we've been yeah. diagnosed later in life the tra- the things that have happened with that as well as just you know there's so much going on behind the surface that when you take the alcohol away and if we look at it relating to hospitality the stress the pressure the relentless hours the lack of flexibility to be allowed to have a life outside of work you know the appalling conditions which again there are improvements things are getting better but let's be honest it's very easy for us to think that we've done that little tick box and walk away it's not it's a huge project and it's going to take a little bit longer than you know a few months um you take all the alcohol away and what are you left with you are still left with that team member or that person in the room who has got all of the reasons that they found themselves and like you say, that's where we need to start putting in safeguarding and support and education and all of that. It's not about just taking the drinks. Oh, let's stop after work drinks. Stop after work drinks, everybody at the restaurant. We won't have any more addicts. Don't you worry. We have sorted that problem. That's not how it works. Yes, that's a big part of it. Making it so, yeah, it isn't OK to get absolutely off your face on a Monday night. Like that's definitely part of it. But like you said, we really need to have a little look and see why have we got so many people reaching that over and over and over across the world in our industry, you know? Yeah. Of it. And what you said about community and connection is very much the root. And I, I like to go like a step deeper than connection and say it's about that self-connection because you are so disconnected with yourself. And as you mentioned, you know, we both later diagnosis of ADHD. You want to talk about self-disconnection, going through life, wondering why things are challenges for yourself that other people, they might have somewhat challenges, but it's not as, as heavy as yours. And you know, it's not an even simple task. And all of a sudden you get diagnosed with ADHD and you're like, Oh, and then you start to actually learn the symptoms and just understand it's not a bunch of squirrel moments or that, you can't sit still doing things. It's deeper than that. And when you can give yourself that grace and connect with yourself, it makes the ability to make a change and understand, like I understood why the first time I got drunk, I had that, oh, this is incredible. I didn't understand before AD, I got diagnosed with ADHD what it was. Now I know it shut my brain up. It was like putting on noise canceling headphones for the first time and you're in a loud area and all of a sudden, like, it's just you, just your thoughts. Like your, your thoughts are like not there anymore. Oh yeah. It's kind of nice to have some quiet. Huh? Yeah, it is. And it's not, it's not just that you're turning off the voices, you're turning off the negative voices. You know, this is yes. very well documented that the voice that people with ADHD have in their head or, and, and autism, that neurodiversity spectrum yes. is always against the negative because the characteristics that we have, which are so forward facing are characteristics that are typically not celebrated weirdly enough and you know we we spend our entire lives being told that who we are is not 
okay and of course you internalize that now add to that the hospitality industry where in putting on a show putting on a mask putting the customer first denying your own um wants and needs is all part of a day part of a month part of a casual tuesday get home take that off and it's the screaming negativity that you just can't escape and i mean for me, it was exactly the same with drinking and with substance use. You know, that was the first time ever when I started, when I was using cocaine, that I actually felt peace. I was calm. I was quiet. And I used to fall asleep and I would have a blissful evening because, you know, uh, what's it called? Big shock, everybody. The ADHD medication. Right. Stimulant. Is a stimulant. And so now the medication that I take has that same effect that these illegal substances have. But again, you know, I think there's having that understanding of self and realizing I, mean, I used to be so ashamed about the fact that that was the way that I would use class A drugs and nobody else did. And it was a secret. And <laughs> now you kind of say it to other people who have been diagnosed and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, I always used to fall asleep at parties. No one ever think. And I was like, oh, OK. And um, it is, it's just, I mean, I, my ADHD coach last week said that I think she said 71 or 72% of people in the hospitality industry are neurodiverse. It's one of the top industries, as well as policemen, which I thought was quite interesting. Um, armed services, policemen, um, emergency services. She said hospitality. And I can't remember the other one now off the top of my head. Would it be blue collar like trades? Maybe something manual. So that yeah. you've got an industry that is full of people who think that they're the biggest piece of shit in the world 99% of the time in an environment where they get in a constant stream of feedback without any kind of support, awareness, training on how to process both the good and the bad in a, in a on a stage where we're masking. And then you go, hey, who wants a drink? And then we're surprised. And I don't think that I think for me, that feels like a really a missing link almost. I'm really hoping having these conversations that where people realize that we're not just dealing with people who have alcohol and drug problems in our industry. We're dealing with a huge community of people who are neurodiverse, who are highly susceptible to addiction. I mean, it's like it's almost like one for one, isn't it? Like <laughs> it really is. Um, yeah. I know, literally, I, I go to AA, I'm like, am I in AA or ADHD right now? What's going on? <laughs> and <laughs> how many more letters do I need? And, um, and, and again, it's like, while we're busy kind of like playing catch up and going like, no way, I was so surprised. This has happened again. Someone's burnt out. Yeah, people with ADHD burn out. We don't know. I, it's right now, it's, I've been awake for about, let's say, I've been up for like 10 hours. And I haven't eaten yet. And I've had one glass of water. Like, because I've been working and you do like, that's what people with ADHD do. We just go. So we're fucking brilliant for the industry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Until I didn't realize. And that's a, that is such an amazing point. Like before I got diagnosed, I didn't realize the fact that I wouldn't eat was related to, um, you know, my ADHD, like people would be like, Hey, can we stop to eat? And I'm like, really, you're hungry. We could still, we could go do this. And they're like, uh, yeah, we're hungry. 
I don't think I could eat right now, but okay, let's go eat. Like if people didn't tell me that I'm working mm-hmm. without there in college, I would go the entire day because without eating, because I'm doing, you know, I'm, I'm sometimes going to class other times <laughs> yeah, playing video games with the guys, like doing all this, you know, going to play basketball, do all this stuff. And I get to 10, 11 o'clock at night and I'm like, Oh, what have I eaten today? I'm kind of hungry. Oh wait, I skipped it. Shoot. So then you you know, yes. and it's you tell people about that, and they're like, "That's weird. How do you not get hungry?" But when you learn it's part of ADHD, it's like, mm. "Oh, okay. Now I have that understanding." And then that's the other thing about ADHD. When you tell people you have it, the amount of people that look at you like, "Oh, you're just telling me the excuse up front," and it's like, "No." I am telling you that I have ADHD. So there are symptoms, there are things that I need to do quicker. I can't just let it sit. There are things that like, if you ask me to do something and you tell me and you see, I'm in the middle of something and I'm not writing it down, write it down for me because I'm not going to remember otherwise. And you caught me Mm -hmm. in a moment of hyper-focus I literally did not hear what you said. I just said, okay, so that you'll let me go back to what I'm doing. And the amount of people that are like, well, why do you, why are you using that as an excuse? It's like, no, that's, that's a blueprint. That's an understanding of mm-hmm. me so that you can understand. Sometimes when I struggle with something, it's not an excuse. There could be a reason. And there's things that we can do that you can also help me with. If you get curious, that will make it easier for both of us. And I think that that is going to be a massive, massive training need in our industry, in hospitality, because for exactly that reason, the the things that I used to fail at, the things that I used to drink on, the things, you know, that I would ruminate on were frequently things that now I know I've got ADHD. I understand, like, there'd be a joke that I would always do the rotor really last minute, um, because I didn't want to sit down. I, did, I couldn't focus on it. I found it really boring. And because I found yep. it boring, I couldn't do it until I suddenly, for whatever reason, found it interesting, probably because I added more colors. And then I do like four weeks, five weeks, six weeks. And they'll be like, show, you need to run the restaurant. I mean, like we, we joke, but like I can hold a room and hold a team and create an incredible experience. But if table two asked me for ketchup, <laughs> no fucking way they're getting it. <laughs> Cause I have forgotten the moment I walked away or like, and you know, like you'd have the waiter come over from that section going table two said they asked you for ketchup. And I'd have to do that manager thing of going like, I don't think they did table two. <laughs> you know and trying to cover my tracks and it used to be really difficult because I always used to have either pink or blue or purple hair and therefore it was quite obvious when they said no we have the girl with pink hair and I'd be like damn it <laughs> shut <laughs> up <laughs> um and it is and I think again it's like even so just even little things like that making it I mean we're now moving into a technology where we, we use technology more in hospitality when it comes to order taking everything's now done on a, on a phone or a pad and actually if you are to ask me something walking past, you're right. I would need to write that down. Now, if as a waiter, we're no longer using pads and pens and we don't have that as part of our kit, where where are these? Where are we writing it down? How are we remembering it? We can't go get the iPad just to write down something like that. So again, are we equipping our teams in just even that very small way to succeed? Because you're right, 
if I had written down at table two, or if my ego had allowed me, because I used to think I could remember everything, like no drama. <laughs> Got that. <laughs> um, then yeah, that's maybe table two. Yeah, I mean, maybe table two would finally have to catch up. Who's still that waiting? Um, but yeah, I think that that is going to be a, a, a massive um, thing that as an industry, we can no longer continue to look away from. That addiction is huge. ADHD, neurodiversity is huge. Put those hands together and let's start putting in some actual protocols that safeguard both communities who also seem to coexist with each other, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And <laughs> Sounds easy, right? <laughs> well, and what, what you just brought up about the uh, knowing how to do it, like knowing to remember things. So I was a line tech, so I worked high voltage. <laughs> I, I did that. Oh, I did it once. I know how to do it. Yep. And so if we're doing something and we go to turn on the power, turn on, turn it on and nothing's happening. What? We did everything that we were supposed to do. What's? Do you have the instructions? No, I threw those away. We don't need those. What do you? What do you think we need those for? So dig okay. them out of the trash. Actually, I think we called somebody who did it before, and they're like, "Oh yeah, did you forget to uh, flip this switch? What switch? There's a switch in there that you have to flip. That the directions say right on the front. Make sure that you turn this on before. <laughs> and it's like, oh, uh, I didn't. Yeah. Oh, damn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. And it's just like this. People call it absent mindedness. But in a weird way, it's like, I always feel like you have to have more more involvement to be absent minded. Like it's like there's like, we're not absent minded. It's just not even existing. It's just like, you know, the amount of times that I would take a table's order. And if you ask me something else on the way to put that into the till, there's yes. no chance I'm remembering to put that in on time. And and, and you would kind of go through your little pad and go, oh my god and then you'd have to go to the table and be like i'm so sorry the chef has decided he is not happy with the quality of the chicken he was about to serve you so he's refiring it it is all about the kitchen it is not because i forgot to put it through and walk free dessert madam <laughs> <laughs> i've just given you all of my secrets as to how to be a good restaurant manager. <laughs> Um, and you would. And but the sad thing is, I mean, we can joke about it now. But the thing is that things like that were happening to me daily, every and I'm a manager, I'm supposed to be when you're a manager, you're not allowed to be make mistakes, because your young team will firstly, quickly catch you up on that. And, um, you know, quickly kind of like, um, call you out quite right, too. Um, so you would just cover your tracks and internalize it and go home and again think oh my god I'm a manager and yet I can't even remember to get ketchup I am awful I'm gonna drink because I have to turn that thought process off because I can't can't go to bed with the amount of hatred that's in my own head and uh, I've got to be up in six hours so what am I going to do I'm going to drown it out so that I can go to bed so I can pass out effectively and you know start the next day absolutely it's yeah it's just a really shitty cycle to be in and i know that there's going to be a lot of people listening to this who can relate to that being in that very cycle sadly yeah same right here like that's such it's so true and i didn't address it like when i first stopped drinking it was six years into stopping drinking before i really started to address like why do i look in the mirror and i hate that person and actually it was that was when i got diagnosed with adhd 
medicated, started looking into um, my mental health. But it was actually two years after that where I figured out that I hated myself. And that's where I've been operating from my entire life. Um, But one thing, talking about like ADHD and how our brains work and a lot of how it manifests that people don't realize and they don't know. TikTok and Instagram have been so huge in putting it out there. And one way that it's really effective at explaining to neurotypicals what goes through a neurodivergence head is the simple process of a morning routine. So if you ask a neurotypical person, what you know, what goes through your mind when you uh, get up, go to the bathroom and brush your teeth? And they'll look at you like, what do you mean what goes through my mind? Like, what, what are you playing in your head when you're doing that? I just say, it's time to get up. And it's like, you talk to a neurodivergent and it's, okay, I need to get up. All right, I need to go to the bathroom. Okay, wash my hands, put my contacts in. All right, my contacts are in. Now I got to brush my teeth. Okay, 30 seconds on this side, 30 seconds on this yeah, side. Same one. <laughs> yeah, and it's like that we narrate everything because we have to. That's mm. how our brains work. So that's why- yeah when you all of a sudden you realize it, like how much energy that takes just to get through one routine, one habit, no wonder why it takes us so long to form new habits, break old habits, why Mm. we like to shut things off because it's always talking, not just like through everything, not just the negative ones, but those negative Mm. ones, they, they play on loop constantly. Just you'll walk into a room and be Taken back to sixth grade when you said something really, really mean to your friend that you didn't mean to say, you didn't want to say, but your impulse control wasn't there. And so mm-hmm. you just said it. And now you've just confirmed that you are the biggest piece of shit that's ever existed. And it'll just keep coming back. Yeah. That's and hard it just to comes from through. nowhere as well. Yeah. Like you'll just suddenly, I'll just suddenly be thinking about a memory and I'll be like, why am I even thinking about that from absolutely nowhere and you're right the the whole routine thing like if I don't do something the exact same way I try I have been trying more and more and I have been getting better in fairness the older I get because I've got way less energy to care but like it throws me like this morning my housemate was in the bathroom so she how very rudely fucked with my routine how dare she um (laughs) so I came downstairs to start work and I hadn't brushed my teeth yet now most people would just be like that's fine I'll you'll go and brush your teeth you know in half an hour or you know whatever I sat trying to and my brain was like you haven't brushed your teeth but you haven't brushed your teeth you haven't brushed your teeth you haven't brushed your teeth you haven't and until I go went upstairs brush my teeth exactly like you said 30 seconds 30 seconds 30 seconds all the same things yeah <laughs> floss bit same way around every day yep. left to right um I couldn't continue my day consciously focusing on that next task and like I think again when it looks at hospitality and we're asking team members I think that's why where on the one hand, people with neurodiversity really shine in our industry. We're really good at doing things the same way over and over. And that's that's the real benefit, both back of house, front of house, on the bars, having the ability to stick to something rigidly and repetitively do it to a consistent standard is basically McDonald's. McDonald's is probably ADHD. <laughs> <laughs> a weird rumour to start. Um, however, when things throw you off that 
you have to be able to learn how to either yourself pull yourself back from that or know that you're in an environment that you can kind of share and be like I've just been thrown off something and because that's what we're talking about when we're talking about that take order take order to till put in order go get cutlery put cutlery on table whatever it is somebody you walk past goes like fuck that's it I'm done like I, not only do I not know what you want, I don't know what part of my brain I was on, what journey I was doing, and now I'm just completely screwed. And then they yeah. look at you and go, well, they're so, they're so ineffective as a server. And it's, again, you know, it's things like that that I think we need to have far more open conversations about. Even when it comes to alcohol, the routine of having an after-work drink, and I'm not sure if you relate to this, but I would have an after-work drink frequently not because I needed one wanted one not that finally I relax but because it's after work so I have to have a drink because that's the routine and there's this compulsive element where you will sit and constantly oh I'm not gonna have a drink today but you always have a drink today why wouldn't you have a drink today and you're not drinking to get drunk but you're almost drinking to tick that box off you know, and yes. I think there's probably a, there's a little bit weirdly kind of gray area where it comes to what is addiction and what is a compulsion. I mean, not that it really matters at the end of the day, because we know that. But I will compulsively do things now that I don't drink with other things in an obsessive way until I overdo it. And then I'll suddenly never touch it again. And I do it a lot with food, especially um, or like teas. At one point, I was drinking so much peppermint tea, I thought I was going to explode and die in a minty extravaganza. And now I haven't had a pep. I haven't had a peppermint tea in months. I don't care anymore. Over it. Yeah, and that's that's uh you know that ADHD too, where you get really into something and then you just get to a point where, all right, I'm done. And there's no rhyme or reason for that line of, all right, I'm done. It just, I was doing yoga for eight months and I'm like, all right, eight months in, this is something I'm going to do. So I bought a nice mat and I bought clothes for yoga. Guess what I did as soon as they got to my house, I stopped going to yoga. And it's like, I waited. I know that this is something that happens. I know I wanted to make sure it was going to be a part of my life. And sure enough, nope. (laughs) it is and it is I mean I'm sat right now in my office next to an entire cupboard worth of crafting stuff Um, there's a sewing machine there's embroidery there's pens you know at one point I was going to become you know an ink drawing sketch artist that was like for a week and god knows what other hidden absolute nonsense Mm -hmm. non-treasures is in there Um, but again I think if we manage to figure out ways of harnessing that passion and drive you know mm-hmm. for good versus evil as it were um in the workplace and again if we start to have these conversations that nurtures that um aspect of how we are you know find your most neurodiverse person on your men- on in the team and get them to take charge of the non-alcoholic <laughs> menu because they will sell the shit out of it yeah <laughs> And um, because they will hyper focus like no one's ever done. No kidding. It, and that's, that is so true. And kind of like, you know, going back to, to the, the ritual thing, the afterward drink, like that is, we do these things that end up becoming 
the mark of, okay, I'm done with work. How do I signal I'm done with work? I have a drink. And so you get done with work and you don't want to have that drink, but your brain is still in work mode in it until you do that. And that's, I heard someone talk about that and I was like, dang, I do that with so many things and I didn't realize it. And when you have that, just the awareness of it sometimes is enough to be able to get through it and maybe try doing something else. Like, you know, let's start with a cookie. Let's have a cookie to signify I'm off work. Like there's a nice little reward. Let's not start with a cookie. Because <laughs> I am now a packet a day person. Because that other problem is that, that, you, I, that yeah, yes. there are no limits. And now I've just got to the point of acceptance that when I buy a packet of cookies and biscuits, I won't have one or two. I will have the whole packet. So I've now had to ban myself from buying them. Or recently I bought some that I knew I didn't like very much because I can only eat like four of them. And then I'm like, these are gross. <laughs> Which is also just ridiculous. Like <laughs> The things that we have to do to get through that. But I do something similar where I limit the amount of sweets in my house at one time so that it's the inconvenience of having to go buy it. Otherwise, mm. I will have two packs of cookies a night. <laughs> yeah, there. but do you not feel an incredible comfort, like just wrap you up in a blanket when you know that you've got those cookies in the house versus not? Because that's been a huge thing as well, like not having the things, like the yes. levels of things that I need like there is that is a moment of bliss like no other versus right now we've just been talking about cookies and I don't have any biscuits or anything in the house and that's now going to play on my mind for the next two hours going maybe you should go get some biscuits you haven't got any biscuits and the relief that you get from suddenly having the thing that your brain has been like obsessing over is it is like having that first drink of a gin, gin and tonic on a you know after work and because it is it's that dopamine release and you know, it's um, it's really fascinating, um, <laughs> fascinating to realize that it's taken me this many years to realize that I wasn't in road awareness in Venice. But again, like you say, it's one of those things that the more we know, um, the more awareness, the more conversations, the more that we can put in place to hopefully help ourselves, help our teams, help each other. You know, then we can it's start doing focusing on the things that are awesome about being neurodiverse you know that creativity yeah. the fire the passion the drive the energy the you know we'll think up shit that ain't nobody thought of but probably because you know they were tied down by things like rules and regulations <laughs> health and safety <laughs> but you know we'll go there those are <laughs> guidelines really <laughs> right we've thrown them away yeah. and so you know it's like it's there's so much wonderful about so many wonderful traits um, in the neurodiverse community um, I'm really looking forward to that being the new narrative rather than oh yeah he was a naughty kid or yeah she was a she was a girl who internally beat herself up on a daily basis and you know all of that things um, yeah. I think it's a pretty cool great time to be sober great time to be neurodiverse <laughs> I Absolutely. mean and it's the thing too we were talking earlier about that connection in that self-connection you know you give yourself the compassion because it it is you but it's how you're wired so if that's how you're wired maybe there's something that I can do to give me some support and work through this instead of just being mad at myself trying to fit myself into life 
I can kind of take my life a little bit and work. And if I talk to somebody about it, maybe we can kind of work some things around me and myself. And that is like, and like you said too, the outside the box thinking the when chaos happens, right? When shit hits the fan, you want someone who's neurodiverse there because oh yeah, boom on it. We might not be able to be on it in a day to day thing, but as soon as it's, I mean, it's just like it's a light <laughs> yeah. switch. It's it is it, like oh, the people is. who are calm and cool. Those people are more than likely neurodiverse, to be honest. Oh. Literally, like, I mean, don't make me brush my teeth after I've had a cup of tea. I will I will lose it and not be able to function. However, the world's about to end. I'm there. And, again, that's what makes us such one, amazing hospitality leaders. You know, yeah. the ability to turn a situation around, the ability to have a table of eight walk up and go, it's my birthday here and my balloons, and you go, sorry, what table? <laughs> and, you know, the way that a chef can, like, look along his line and see tickets coming out of his ass and be able to see through it clearly exactly what he needs to do to turn the ship around is it's phenomenal and and again you know if we talk about like the police and you know emergency services and all of that that's such an incredible skill that saves lives um and again it's something that should be celebrated just don't be in the bathroom when i need to do my teeth in the morning <laughs> otherwise nothing's happening until i do my teeth <laughs> hell hath no fury. the world will explode yeah literally yeah i'll be like shells the world's falling apart it's like one second 30 seconds 30 seconds <laughs> uh, Shell, this this conversation has been incredible um where can people find you and follow along because i know that people are going to want to connect with you after this so I've got um, the podcast, We Book of the Loudly, is on all of your podcasting platforms, Spotify, Apple, Google, and all of those. Um, got website, webookoftheloudly.com, um, which is, um, we've got kind of resources, so for people who are looking for ways of potentially um, looking at addiction or things, you know, that they've got issues with, there are links to lots of different external resources um there is also um our blogs on there with just interesting little articles and bits and we are going to be launching hopefully at the end of november our online community where if you work in the industry if you are wanting to connect with people regardless of whether or not you're sober but if you just want to kind of have that space to talk about your substance using your drinking and be held in like much like a peer-to-peer -peer, well it is peer-to-peer -peer sport uh, we'll be launching that very much like the lovely Ben's friends who do it over for you guys in the US um, and uh, Ben's friends are incredible they're on the website as a link um, and then yeah if you're in the UK we've also just launched our sister company uh, Hospitality Raw um, which will be our consulting company and training company where we can come into your restaurants and bars and uh, help you train your team in safe serving and non-alcoholic products and addiction awareness and all of those fab things. Actually, just the UK. Because we can do it online. We can do the US. <laughs> yeah. Bring it. Yeah. Bring it. I love that. <laughs> yeah, I was restricting myself. But yeah, all of those places. Um, and yeah. Instagram, massively. We're massive on Instagram, massively on LinkedIn as well. So again, just at We Recruit Loudly um, on Instagram and just LinkedIn. Awesome. I there's this has been so much fun. Just chopping it up and 
having a serious conversation, but in a way that shows people you can have these conversations and make headway, get some understandings while you're laughing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, literally, I've actually had a few of my own little light bulb moments. I'm looking forward to uh, listening back and thinking like, oh, yeah, I, I, I should have, you know, those are things that I can be doing. And again, I think that's one of the amazing things about putting down drink, putting down drugs is exactly like you said. It's people say, oh, it's a return to self. But it's it, for some people, it's not even a return to self. It's a discovery of self because you've never even known. And yeah. um, and it's quite fun and it's painful, of course, and it's heartbreaking and all of that. But it's also quite fun to get to know you without trying to sound too, you know, like a cushion. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, that's exactly why I'm a self-discovery after alcohol coach, because that's what it was for me. I, did, I wasn't rediscovering a lot of these. It was actually discovering myself mm -hmm. and that was such a light bulb moment when I realized, oh, I'm not using re for any of this. I'm actually unlearning really health, unhealthy behaviors and I'm learning for the first time new ones. I'm discovering my values, what I like to do actually, and not what people tell me I should mm -hmm. like to do. And it's, it's incredible. It really is. Yeah. And so having that understanding, it just, again, just having the awareness of it, that it's, it is true. Yeah. It can help you give Game yourself compassion. So. 100%. Do yourself a favor, get to know yourself. You never know. You might like yourself. <laughs> Mind blowing. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, more than likely you will like yourself and that's what. Yeah. Is. You'll actually prefer yourself to the douchebags you've been hanging out with. And that's a whole nother episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, we can work in it. That there's the segue. <laughs> Come back for part two. <laughs> yeah, Michelle lives in a cave because she's decided she doesn't like anyone as much as she likes herself. <laughs> That's a great place to be, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that will not happen. <laughs> so, so, so um, Shell, thank you so much again for joining us. And um, for those out there, like I said, I'm a self-discovery after alcohol coach. At, go to the website, untappedkeg.com. Follow on Instagram, untappedkeg. You can learn more about my own journey that you might be able to take some lessons from and implement it in your own life. And you know what? Let's try to be better tomorrow than we were today because at least we don't make it. We tried. Love you, everybody. Thank you.